But uh, I'm glad that I'm here tonight, and, and uh, Pastor Dustin asked me yesterday if I could fill in for Pastor Malcolm. Uh, he's uh, uh, out of out of town for a funeral, and I'm always honored for any time that I can uh, preach the Word of God, especially here. We sure love our church, and we love our pastor, and we love our pastoral team, and uh, and we're getting to know a lot of you more and more, and that's that's always a, a really really fun thing, okay? And uh, I prided myself for years as a pastor of memorizing names and faces and people, and, and I'm pretty good at it. But, you know, now I just, uh, I just wing it. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful we call each other brother and sister, aren't you? <laughs> well, uh, when Pastor Dustin asked me yesterday if I could fill in, now I, I want you to know when you've been pastor in the church, uh, like we had the privilege for 46 years, I've got literally hundreds and hundreds, yay, thousands of sermons I can go back to. And so I spent a lot of time looking through things and, uh, and nothing that, nothing that I looked at. It just, uh, I was telling Katie, uh, when I pastored, I did just like pastor Malcolm does. I preached series and I just, when I finished up, I started the next week right where I finished, and and we went through the books of the Bible, and we learned the Bible, and and that's what it's all about, learning the Bible. And uh, I told Katie, I said I could have prepared. God only knows how many sermons uh, to get to where I am tonight, because I just, Lord, what would what would you have me to say, and and what would you what what would you want from me? And so what I'm going to give you tonight is something I think will help us all. Okay, and you'll have to listen really close to understand where I'm going, and then you'll know where I'm going, and when we end up tonight, I hope that we end up with a great commitment in all of our lives, and here's the title of the message tonight, I don't have to survive. I don't have to survive. Now, let me say that again. I don't have to survive. Okay. Now I want you to know we came into this world surviving. We came into this world breathing. We came into this world kicking. We came into this world crying and we came into this world surviving, right? Isn't survival one of those things? You know, we, we just, uh, we, we think about surviving, surviving, but I don't have to survive as a believer. I don't have to, to survive. You say, then if, if I don't have to survive, then Brother Doug, what do I have to do? Very simple. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I want to take you to our text tonight. If you'll turn to the book of Acts, Acts in chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I want to take you just a, a portion of scripture here. And we'll begin reading in verse number 17. And it'll take us right on through verse number 24, okay? And we'll spend a little bit of time getting the whole idea of what I'm talking about in verse 24. But I want you to picture in your mind right now that Paul is a man that has learned that he doesn't have to survive. He doesn't have to figure it all out. He doesn't have to make, uh, make sure that everything's going to fall in line for him. And he, he doesn't have to always watch his back. And he, he just learned that he has to do what God has called him to do. That's what he has to do. Are, are you with me? So let's pick it up in verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And then when they come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, at all times, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the line and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. And from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, 
repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me there. Remember the great prophet Agabus comes and he binds his clothes and he says to Paul, you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you there. And I mean, everybody said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to bind you there. But listen to what he says. But none of these things move me. In other words, they don't affect me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll help me tonight. Lord, I, uh, if I planned it and you don't want it said, help me to forget it. If I, uh, Lord, uh, those things that, that I planned and you want said, give me the liberty and the freedom to say them. And Father, give us ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to all of us tonight. And may we leave here tonight more committed, more secure in our walk with you, our call from you, that, Father, the one who has called us is also the one who will sustain us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, as I said a moment ago, he had, he had already uh, had the, the prophet Agabus had said to him and, and, and uh, that that he was going to go into Jerusalem. He was going to be bound. Uh, Paul says again over in Acts 21, verse 13, he said, what mean ye to weep and break mine heart? I am ready to be bound, uh, not, not to be bound only, but also to die at, at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. You got to understand that Paul was this guy that said to us that he absent from the body is present with the Lord. And if I can say it like old John R. Rice said, you can't scare me with heaven. I mean, Paul was saying, let me tell you right now, he, he said, what, what, what I have on my mind right now is not what's going to happen to me, not what somebody's going to do to me, not that I have to watch what I say, not that I have to watch where I go. What I have on my mind right now is that I must complete the course that God has laid out for me. You see, he's preaching in, in, uh, over in Acts chapter 13. And he talks about John the Baptist over there finished his course. And then Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 6, 7, and 8, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is what? At hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You, you See, I believe when he said, I have finished the course, that he was remembering John the Baptist who finished his course. And then he says, and henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. But not to me only. I'm not the only one that has a course to finish. I'm not the only one that has a call from God that I need to be faithful to. But all those who love his appearing. Amen. All of us. You know, Paul said, what I have to be concerned about is not what they're going to do to me in Jerusalem. Not who's going to be upset. What I have to be concerned about is that I finish my course. That I do what God has called me to do. And then look at what he says here. He says that I received this call of, from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul says in clarifying that, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 1, he said, I am Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He said, my call is from the Lord God. I didn't get it from man. I got it from God. You see, what Paul was saying is, I don't have to survive. <laughs> I don't have to survive. Do you know some of you are sitting here right now, honestly, your blood pressure's out the wazoo, your, your stress level, 
And it, you know what it is? You believe you have to survive. I have to survive in this, and I have to survive in that, or what are we going to do here? And Well, I'm just a wary ward, and I don't know what, and, and did, I, did they get upset? Did, did, what, what, on and on and on. But what we have to do is we, we don't have to survive. We only have to obey. You see, survival, though, understand something about survival. Survival is a natural human instinct. They tell us that man can live 40 days without food. He can live six days without water. And he can live eight minutes without air. You see, it's natural. As I said earlier, we came into this world seeking to survive. I mean, we're determined to survive and we do everything in our power to stay alive. Is that true? I mean, we do everything to stay alive. But in our Christian walk, there's a better way. And the better way is simply this. We find that in Christ, just like the Apostle Paul, that if we're in him, he is in control of our lives. He's in control of what's going on around us. And so my job is just to obey. And everything else, he's got to handle it. Okay? Now, guys, I can stop right here and just start telling you mine and Katie's life down through the year and, 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 and spend all of the time just telling you how that we came to the place in, in, in our lives where unbelievable things have happened to us. Things that I, I, I couldn't hate anybody enough to want them to have happened to them what has happened to us. I, I'm serious. I couldn't hate anybody enough to want those things to happen. But you know what I believe with all of my heart? I believe that the God who called us is the God who will sustain us. I believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that he lives inside of me and will never leave me nor forsake me. I believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe the God who, who has ordered things in my life is the God who will pay for them in my life. I believe there's a God who said that if I'll step out on the water, he'll let, it, he'll let me walk. You say, I, th- I think that's crazy. You know, I just think faith is, I just believe God. That he is in charge and he is in control. Well, let me stay with it. I, I, I want to, because I, I promise you, Spiritual survival, now listen closely to this, is the number one problem in the church and in the lives of believers today. Spiritual survival. It, it's, I, I think it's the number one problem. Because you see, from that problem, we're going to look at it in a moment, so many other problems come into play. You know... It was over 20 years ago when the Lord took the very things that I'm talking to you about right now and began to work with in, in my life on these things as a pastor. That I didn't have to survive as a pastor. Well, what if they fire you, Doug? What if they fire me? Do, do you guys realize that when, when Katie and I came to Decatur, Alabama, that we came to a church that began in 1998, excuse me, 1898, 1898, that it was a church that had had many pastors and the longest any pastors had ever stayed, the longest was five years. Two pastors made it for five years. One of those pastors resigned after five years because he was accused of having an affair with either the pianist or the organist. Or maybe both of them, I don't know. <laughs> and so he resigned the church. He said, Brother Doug, what would you have done if you'd have gotten accused? I'd have killed somebody. I'm telling you, the only thing a preacher has is his reputation. And you can't let anybody tear that down. Are are you with me? Are you with me? And the other one had stayed there five years. Somebody put a note under his office door, a letter. And in the letter, they said they were going to kill him. So he resigned. 
But let me tell you what he did. He got up and read the letter to the church. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's what they wanted. Do you realize for umpteen years as a pastor, if I get a letter, the first thing I do is look down to see who signed it. And if nobody signed it, I throw it in a trash can. Because I'm not going to let anybody mess with my mind. And he got up and read it to the church. And he left. And then God called us right after him. God called us to come to that church. Now, for years, two things that God showed me when I was my last year of college. I spent the night praying all night in a church up in Texas. We were preaching a youth revival. And I spent the night in a church that night. And and I was a year away from uh, graduating from college. I felt like God called me to be a pastor. And I was just, I just didn't feel like, man, how I'm so unqualified. Good night of living. I, I, I mean, I beat the King's English to death. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a hillbilly from Tennessee. And yeah, you know, yeah. God showed me two things that night. One of the things he showed me that night, I've shared many times. But the second thing he showed me. I can probably count on one hand that I've been able to ever share what the second one is. I'm going to share it with you tonight. The first one was, though, God shared with me that night, Doug, if you'll walk with me and do my work as a pastor, Monday through Saturday, I'll show up on Sundays. And I'm telling you, check the ministry out. He showed up. Sunday after Sunday. You know, when my kids were growing up in our home, that there probably wasn't this many Sundays in all the years they were growing up in our home that we didn't have people walk the aisle on Sunday that had gotten saved through the ministry of our church. I'm not talking about the people saved all over the world through the ministry. I'm talking about the people saved in our area, in the Morristown area when we pastored there and in Decatur, people walking the aisle. You know why? Because when we did, let me, let me just tell you, there's a lot of weeks that I, on Saturday night, I'd be up on my place of prayer up on that mountain in Tennessee or, uh, or where my place of prayer was in, in Decatur, asking God to forgive me for not doing what all I should have done that week. But he always showed up on Sunday. Are you with me? And here was the second thing that he showed me that night in that church, is that I would pastor two churches in my lifetime. I would be at my first church over 10 years. I'd be there 10 years or longer. And I'd only pastor two churches in my lifetime. Now, I mean, I mean, my wife knew that, but I, how do you tell somebody that, you know? I, we pastored our first. And by, by the way, let me ask you something. A pastor pastoring his first church for over 10 years is almost like a Red Sea miracle. Because you make so many stupid mistakes that, that, that they sort of want you to go. And you really want a new start somewhere anyway. Okay? We stayed there 12 years. Now I come to this church. God calls me to this church called Molten Heights Baptist Church. Decatur Baptist now, but Molten Heights. We were over in the Molten Heights section of the town. And... Uh, this church had had two pastors that made it five years, and one of them was, ran out with adultery accusation, which, let me tell you, it wasn't true. And the other one, somebody uh, put a letter in there, going to kill him, and he's gone, and I'm coming in, and the Lord revealed, I'm going to pastor two churches. I'm going to tell you what I thought. I'm dying early. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let me tell you what I really thought. God, this is crazy. This is, I mean, boy, I mean, yeah, whoa, I, whoa, this, 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 is, this is a church that's not committed to the longevity of a pastor. This is a church that's bring them in and send them out. But that's where God said go. And we pastored 34 years. And let me tell you why. I didn't have to survive. When we'd been there five years, five years, listen to this. 
We'd been there five years. That same spirit of the enemy that had worked on this good pastor and this good pastor came at this mediocre pastor. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. They had called a meeting of a group of them. And I was in that meeting. And I was called everything that you could be called. He said, how did you make it? I didn't have to survive. I didn't have to survive. Wasn't my church. You know what's, you know what, you, you know the only thing that we had my name on at Decatur Baptist Church was the stationery. And they knew when I was retiring, so they used that up and got rid of it real quick. My name wasn't on anything. It wasn't my church, it was his church. You follow with me? Listen, when God called me to Decatur, Alabama, I didn't even know there was a Decatur, Alabama. I didn't know there was a Decatur, Alabama. Are, are you listening to me? I mean, the, uh, one of the deacons that called me that wanted to come and, and hear me preach. And by the way, when they came to hear me preach, uh, they didn't, they'd never seen me, didn't know anything about me. They'd never, seen a re- never have seen a resume on me. And uh, that night I met with them, and, and I tell you what, I, I've never been unfaithful to my wife, but I really, if, if, if I could ever know what committing adultery is, I sort of felt it that night when I was meeting with those guys from another church. I felt like I was cheating on my church. You, you follow what I'm saying? And I met with them, and I found out the church was legalistic. I mean, men better cut your hair right, and women, you don't wear pants, you know. I mean, we, one of the first times we were invited out to eat, they asked me, what do you think about pants on women? <laughs> now, I want you to know, one of my favorite foods in life is raw vegetables and uh, ranch dressing. Are you with me? How many of you like raw vegetables and ranch dressing? So they have those raw vegetables in front of me. And Katie was there. And they had, uh, and by the way, when I met with those guys from the church, I said, let me tell you something. If you're wanting somebody to come in and preach on what the length of a hair a man ought to have, and you want somebody to come in and preach against women and what they wear, I'm not your man. But if you want somebody to come in and teach you how to win people to Christ and make disciples and take the gospel around the world, I'm your man. I didn't think they'd vote on me. You know what? Here I am. So we're in that meeting. And those women are asking me about it. And I just asked, well, tell me, what what, what do you think? said, well, we just felt convicted of God that we shouldn't wear pants. And I'm still eating now. Just understand I'm eating, okay? And um, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm always intrigued about where someone is when they get a conviction from God. You see, a conviction ought to be something you die for. Right? I mean, pull the trigger. I'm, I, it's a conviction. I'm not going to change for you nor anybody else. And so I asked him, I said, I'm always intrigued where people are. When they get these, quote, convictions from God. You, you, you know, we Baptists get a lot of convictions. Come on now, you know. Well, the Lord convicted me. You know, you, you dirty dog. You just didn't want to do it. And you blamed it on God or, and you, you, or you blamed it on your wife or your husband. Come on, let's just get honest. And so they began to tell me that they were in a camp meeting. Now, I won't tell where it is. Some of you know about it. And they were in a camp meeting. And I said, well, what day were you in the camp meeting? They were about day four of five-day camp meeting. Well, first of all, I wanted to say to them, God bless you. You made it four days in that kind of junk because all that camp meeting was was preaching against hair and pants. Are, are, are you with me? I mean, I've heard these guys 300 pounds overweight preaching against smoking. 
300 pounds overweight, you want to say, hey, man, how about ham and bacon and sausage? Bless God, you're defiling your body, smoking that thing. Are you with me? Four days. I said, so in the fourth day, then you felt convicted to give up your pants? I said, yeah, yeah. And they said, my husband been wanting me to give up my pants for years, but I wouldn't do it. I'm eating. Now, you got to understand, I'm just eating. I'm eating. And I am thinking while I'm eating, oh, God, <laughs> what have I gotten into? I'm eating, though. You know, don't you love when you can eat and just look down and get the vegetables and put it in your mouth? I said, you know what bothers me? Well, eating. And they said, no, what's that? And I said that you wouldn't obey your husband. Just kept on eating. That you'd let some preacher in the pulpit do something to you that you wouldn't even listen to your husband. Just kept on eating. And I said, you know, if that's your conviction, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If that's your conviction, that's okay. And I won't offend you. I'll be as good to you as I know how to be. I'll be kind to you. But make sure it's of the Lord. Not because you got beat to death for four straight days. Listen, let me tell you right now, I'd give up pants after four days of that preaching. Are are you with me? You know what's the funniest thing? In about two years, every one of those ladies started wearing pants. Every one of them started wearing pants. You say, what did you say? Nothing. Nothing. But you say, Brother Doug, what, what about all this stuff? I just didn't have to survive. I didn't have to survive it. I mean, what are you going to do with me? Well, you, you, uh, we're, we're going to fire you. Well, you know what I'll do? I'll do what I'm called to do. I'll go somewhere else and do what I'm called to do. I can get a crowd together. I can tell people about Jesus. I can disciple people. I mean, we, we, are, are you with me? We don't have to survive. And when you have to survive, you're heading for trouble. I mean, you're heading for trouble when you're worried about what somebody's going to think. Now, let's get honest for a second. How many of us have worried about what people think? Just raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Be honest. Now, listen to me. I think our God is a very gracious God. Don't you? He's a gracious God. I've I've got some really close friends who are Pentecostal. Okay? Now, if I preach for one of them next week, I don't think God would have me to preach against tongues. You know why? Because he's a gracious God. And if they preached for me when I was pastoring, I don't believe they'd have preached against eternal security. Because he's a great, he, he is a gracious God. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Are you listening to me? I need to get back to my notes because I'm going to get in trouble. Malcolm will never let me preach again. God's a gracious God. But you have to be at the place in your life that you don't have to survive. And what you do have to do, though, is just be obedient to God. Just be obedient. You know why people don't tithe? They have to survive. Do you know why people aren't faithful in church? Because they have to survive. They've got other things. They're surviving. There's, there's, this has to be done and that has to be done. And they're surviving in their minds. Are you with me? But somewhere we come to the place where we say, you know what? I just need to obey God. And if I'll obey God, everything else will take care of its place. You see, when I have the idea that I have to survive, it causes me to be lukewarm rather than hot. 
And the reason I come, become lukewarm is because I compromise. I, I compromise rather than having conviction in my life. You ever been around somebody, if you throw them up in the air, you don't know what they're going to be when they hit the ground? It keeps us from making the best decisions. Because if I want to be likable, I'll make decisions for people to like me rather than make decisions that I know are right. This is right. And when we do, we lose our effectiveness. It encourages us to excuse our lack of effectiveness for God. We use terms like faithful versus fruitful. And I think we ought to be faithful. But I also think we ought to be fruitful. Amen? What is the fruit of a Christian? Another Christian? I mean, what's our pastor been preaching for the last several weeks? Share our story. And share his story. Become evangelists for Christ. You know, there's a story over in the Old Testament where the, the children of Israel are in a city. And, and I mean, they are dying of starvation and they're eating dove's dung and donkey head. Okay. And these lepers outside, they go down to the enemy camp. The enemy has left everything. They've left all the food, all of these things. They've left all of that stuff. I mean, the money, the food, they've left it. These lepers are down there and they're eating. They're, man, they're wealthy. And they said to themselves, man, this is wrong. It's wrong for us to be here and have this. And they're starving back in the city. We've got to go tell them in the city. Well, guys, that's where we are. Amen. We know what it takes for someone to go to heaven. Amen. Yeah. And it's wrong if we're not sharing Our faith with others. But see, we compromise. And God wants us to be fruitful as well as faithful. It hinders us from completely obeying God. I mean, remember what King Saul did over there and and the prophet told him to wait and he'd show up and they'd have the sacrifice. But the, the old King Saul got anxious and he went ahead and made the sacrifice and a prophet showed up and King Saul said, man, I've obeyed God. I've, I've, I've obeyed God. And the prophet said, if you've obeyed God, why do I hear all these sheep making noise? And why do I hear all these cows making noise if you've obeyed God? And then he said to Saul, he said, obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obey God. Just obey Him. That's what we're to do. Well, let me give you a little rundown here. Are you ready? But let, before I do that, let me give you one last thing. It robs us of the power and blessing of God. Guys, when we have to survive, we go after man's approval versus God's approval. Come on, be honest. We do. We go after man's approval versus God's approval. And we really ought to want God's, God's face to shine on us and God's approval in our lives. Well, the Bible tells us of those that had to survive. And let me give those to you quickly, okay? Abraham and Sarah in Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, they had to survive. There was a famine in the land and they went down to Egypt because they had to survive. They get down there and Sarah's a good looking gal. And old Pharaoh, man, he, he's, he, listen, he's got guys out there. He's got scouts for him looking for good women to bring among his wives and they see Sarah there. No, Abraham says, let me tell you right now what they'll do. You're, you're such a good looking woman. They'll kill me and you'll become one of his wives. Let's just lie. But let's just tell a, a little lie. We'll tell him you're my sister and not my wife. You say, why did he do that? Because he had to survive. He had to survive. Then what does he do? He brings home an Egyptian maid and it divides his family and it causes turmoil in his life like crazy. And let me tell you, we're still right today dealing with that same mess that his having to survive has caused us all. Lot chose Sodom to dwell in in Genesis 13 because he had to survive. He looked at the, uh, he just left Abraham and They didn't have enough land for all the cattle and all the servants. And so he goes down and he sees all all this uh, this luscious land and grass. And he sees prosperity down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he has to survive. So he chooses to go there. 
but he loses everything he has. He loses his family. He loses it all. And when you see the dust all settled, he's got two daughters and they're pregnant by him. His life's a failure. And his failure brings two races of people or, or two clans of people into the world that cause nothing but heartache for God's people for years and years to come because he had to survive. The ten spies who gave the neg- negative report in Numbers 13 had to survive. Oh, yeah. They had, they had seen everything that everybody else had seen down in that promised land that God told them to go. They had seen the grapes. They had seen the prosperity. But they saw giants down there, those Anakins. They saw those, those giants, and they came back, and they give an evil report. We can't go down there because those giants will take our lives. They'll kill us. We have to survive. We have to survive. And you know what happened? They ended up dying, every one of them. They ended up dying. You see, when you have to survive, you think you're you're surviving, but you will literally end up destroying yourself. You see, all of them died. Everyone 20 years of age and above, they all died in that 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. And those, those 10 spies that gave the negative report, they died quick. They died fast. But everyone 20 years and above that believed that they also would die if they went in there. They had to survive as well. Two guys had courage that didn't have to survive. That was Joshua and Caleb. They didn't have to survive because they knew their God was a God greater than giants, than the Anakins that were there. And then we have Aaron that makes the golden calf. I I don't know if you've read Exodus 32 in a while, but I'd go back and read it. It's sort of funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's sort of funny, you know. Uh, you, you, you begin to read through Exodus there and old Moses is up on the mountain. He gets a, the Ten Commandments and then God lays out for him everything for the, for the children of Israel, how they're to live and the laws they're to have. And then, and then he comes back and he's on the way back. Joshua's been waiting on him. He's been up on that mountain and they hear the sound and they think it's war. And he said, no, it's a sound of music. And they get back and they're worshiping a calf. The same thing they left Egypt with, they're now worshiping out there in the wilderness. And do you know who made it for them? Aaron. You know why? Because he had to survive. He had to survive. And you know, Moses asked him, just read it, it's all in there. Moses asked him, what did they do to you that would cause you to do this? He said, well, you just know the kind of people they are. He had to survive. He had to survive. I love what Moses did. He burns that sucker and puts it on the water and then makes them drink the water. Can you imagine their system was messed up for a little while? Can you imagine the tummy ache some of them had for a little while? They had to survive. Aaron had to survive. We find over in Matthew chapter 25 when he gives the talents there, the five, the two, and the one, the guy with the one talent had to survive. Remember that? He said, I know you're a hard man and I'd hit it in the ground. I, did, I didn't want anything to happen to that talent. I've, I've kept it. I've preserved it. I mean, I've, I've got it for you. I can give you back your talent. See, he had to survive. He couldn't use it. He's afraid he'd lose it. He had to survive. And what was the outcome of it? He lost it. The Lord said, thou wicked servant. He takes the talent from him and gives it to the one who had five and now has ten. And he gave it to him and now he's got eleven. He had to survive. Peter denied our Lord three times in Matthew chapter 26. You know why he denied our Lord? He had to survive. He had to survive. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. If, if, they, find, hey, if they find out. That, I, that I'm with him. What, what, what they're doing to him, what will they do to me? He had to survive. And then you read when the Lord looks at him and the cock crows and his heart literally breaks in pieces. He found out that disobeying God caused shame and disgrace worse than death could ever be to him. But he had to survive. You know, the Bible tells us not only of people that had to survive... The Bible tells us of those that didn't have to survive. Are you ready? Hang on to this. Let's look at those that didn't have to survive. That's a crowd I want to run with. Abraham. Now remember before he had to survive, but he learned some lessons. 
you know what? Failure is not bad if you learn something. What's really bad is you're too stupid to learn anything after you fail. Amen? Anybody ever been too dumb to learn something? You had to, had to have it three or four times? You know, I think sometimes spiritually I'm in the slow class. <laughs> You'll get it. Abraham, as he offered up Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, didn't have to survive. Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. Abraham said, all I've got to do is obey. God will take care of everything else. And then Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse number 56, he said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Look at me, I don't have time to go into all of it, but just trust me, search it out yourself. But when Abraham was up there to offer Isaac, when he went to offer Isaac, over here's a ram caught in a bush. And God has the ram over there for him rather than Isaac. Isaac's life is spared. But it was on that mount that is also Mount Golgotha where our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. And it was on that mount and Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoice. You know what God did? Because Abraham was obedient, God pulled back the curtain and said, boy, let me let you look hundreds and hundreds of years down through here. And what he saw, I believe with all of my heart, when he saw his day, he saw Jesus hanging in that very place where he's standing, hanging on an old rugged cross, dying for the sins of the world. You say, what happened to this man? He didn't have to survive. He didn't have to survive, and he got Isaac back, and he saw Calvary. Joshua and Joshua 24, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What did he have? He had the I don't have to survive attitude. You can serve all the gods around you all you want, but I'm not going to. My family's not going to. We're going to serve God. We don't have to survive. Oh, Caleb, he, as I said earlier, he and Joshua, the two that said, let's go on into the land. In Joshua chapter 14, he asked for the land of the Anakins where the giants were. And old Caleb said, I'm 85 years of age. I'm an octogenarian. I, but I'm as strong as I was 40 years ago when, when, when we tried to get you to go into the land. And he said, give me the land where the giants are. Why in the world did he want that property? I'll tell you why. Because he didn't have to survive. He didn't have to survive. He believed the God who would have given it to them 40 years earlier was the God that would give it to him now. I love reading the story in Judges chapter 7 of O Gideon. Here Gideon is and the Midianites and the Malachites and the children of the east are all gathered against O Gideon. And the Bible says the enemy was so great they were like grasshoppers for multitude. And they had camels that were, out, that were without number and they were like the sands of the seashore. No, Gideon had an army of 32,000. I think they were Baptist. You say, why do you think they're Baptist? Because when he said everyone that's afraid can go home and 22,000 left. 22,000 left. And then they take them down to the water to drink and 9,700 of them just throw their face right into the water. They don't look about anything around them. They're not paying attention to anything around them. They just throw their face down into the water like a dog would go down to get the water. And God said those 9,700, they got to go as well. You know why? Because they're careless. They're careless. Gideon looked around and he said, there's only 300 of us. God said, that's enough. That's enough. Why could Gideon do it? Listen to me. Because God brought him to the place where he didn't have to survive. He said, Gideon, if you're having a real problem with this, he said, I want, to, want you to do something. He said, I want you to take this guy. And he calls him a name. He said, I want you to take him. I want you to go down. I want you to slip down and listen to some of those guys in their tent talking tonight. And they'll tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. He goes down listening. The guy just woke up and said, man, I had a dream. And he tells about that dream, how that, that the army of Gideon came in, which was the army of God, and literally wiped them out. You see, Gideon could do what he, what he was doing because he didn't have to survive. Gideon didn't have to win. He didn't have to win. All he had to do was obey. All he had to do was obey. He didn't have to win. All he had to do was obey. Just obey. 
I love the story of old Job. Job chapter 13, Job is sitting in the ash heap. His wealth is gone. His children are gone. His health is now destroyed. And Miss Job said, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> Boy, that, that's, just, that's putting a cherry on top of the ice cream, isn't it? Just curse God and die. But see, Job didn't have to survive. You know what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. The Bible said Job did not sin foolishly against God. Why? He didn't have to survive. Amen. Job said, I don't have to understand why the kids died. I don't have to understand why I've lost my wealth. I don't have to understand why my wife wants me to curse God and die. I don't have to understand why these guys are supposed to be friends or telling me this is all my pro- trouble and all my fault. I don't have to understand all of that, but I do have to do one thing. Obey him. Amen. Obey him. I love the story of Elijah, and, I, and I've heard Pastor talk about the Holy Land quite a bit. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you've been up there on that Mount Carmel. There's old Elijah, one man of God, 450 prophets of Baal. You say, how could one man stand against 450 prophets of Baal? Only one way he could stand, he didn't have to survive. He didn't have to survive. And so they're going to pray. The God who answers with fire. And they have Baal. You know who Baal was? Do you guys know who Baal was? He was the sun god. If anybody could throw fire, it would be the sun god. But he didn't have to survive. And you know what he did? He obeyed God. And while he's obeying God, I, I, you know, he, he said, okay. He said, let's, here's the altar. And he said, let's dig a trench around the altar. And then he got the most valuable commodity of the day. You know what it was? Water. And he said, fill it up. I, he said, you, you, get, you get my altar. We've been looking, you guys, you, you guys have gotten your altar wet with all that blood. We've been cutting yourself and screaming and hollering like a bunch of banshees. But get my altar wet. Make, make, make it hard on my God. Then he prayed a little simple prayer and fire came from heaven. You know why? Because he didn't have to survive. Oh, what God could do with us if we just don't have to survive. We don't have to survive. I love old Daniel and the lion's den. And, and I know we hear all these stories as kids, but I guess I learned more Bible when I was teaching the Bible to my kids those early years than I ever did in seminary. But over there in Daniel chapter 6, The decree has gone out that no one is to petition any other God except the king. And Daniel, they knew. They knew Daniel prayed every day three times right through that big picture glass window facing right toward Jerusalem. And Daniel, are you going to pray? Yes, he's going to pray. You know why? He didn't have to survive. And he prays. And they catch him. And they bring him before the king. And they throw him into the lion's den. But not one time did he back away. You know why? Because he didn't have to survive. And you know what he found out? He found out that hungry lions can close their mouth. He found out that you can sleep in the worst place in the world and have a great night's rest when you don't have to survive. But of the Hebrew boys, you'd find none greater than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You find over in Daniel chapter 3. The king had made a decree that everyone was to bow down at a certain time to him. And when the, when the, the trumpet sounded and the music played, everybody bowed down and you looked up and there's three heads standing. They said, you're going to bow down? He said, no. Now, why in the world would they say that? Why? Because they don't have to survive. They don't have to survive. And they said to the king, said, our God can, our God, he, he, can, he, he can take care of us. He can protect us in the fire. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. And look, read it, read it. They said, Any, no matter which way it goes, king, you have no control over us. Our God. They did not have to survive. And you know what happened? Man, they got that thing seven times hotter. And Jesus showed up with an air conditioner. Amen. I mean, when Jesus got in that fire, let me tell you right now. And, and let me tell you, the only reason we don't see Jesus show up a lot is because we have to survive. 
and we compromise and we say yes when we should have said no. And we say no when we should have said yes. And we, we run the, the opposite direction that we should have been running. And, and, and we disobey and we, we just have to survive. We've got to think about our family. We've got we to gotta survive. And we don't see him show up. But when you get where you don't have to survive, you'll see him show up every time. Well, let me give you, and I close now, characteristics of non-survivors. Here it is. Number one. They have faith in God and not themselves. They have faith in God and not themselves. Let me tell you something right now. I know who I am. Do you know who you are? Let me tell you who I am. I am a sinner saved by the grace of Almighty God. I am a nothing. I, 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 am, I am the hole in the donut. I am a nothing. I am a nothing. But I serve a God who is the everything. And I have absolutely no confidence in who I am, but I have all the confidence in the world in who he is. Secondly, they are used of God to change people, to change nations, and to change generations. Let me tell you, the people that God's using today are people that don't have to survive. The people that God's using today are people that are standing for God and loving God and serving God and living for God and doing what you said. Well, that, that didn't make sense. You know, I told you the story when we came here to Decatur and, and a church that had only had two pastors since 1898. And, and, and here I'm a guy knowing that God told me as, a, as a, a, a kid in college that I'd pastor two churches. And you're crazy. I know it. But I don't have to survive. I don't have to survive. You see, God, God, God can change the world with people that don't have to survive. And then number three, you show me somebody that doesn't have to survive, and I'll show you someone that has the power and the anointing of Almighty God on their lives. I'm telling you right now, the Bible says in the Old Testament that God is looking for a man. He's searching. He's looking for a man or a woman who is willing to love him with all of their heart. You know what that literally means? That means to obey him. That's somebody that says, I don't have to survive. I only have to obey him. So here's how I close. Our greatest non-survivor in all of Scripture is the Lord Jesus. He didn't have to survive. He didn't have to survive. He said, I have come to do the will of him that sent me. In the garden, he prayed, not my will, thine be done. He did not have to survive. So here's what I encourage you tonight. Let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves tonight before Almighty God. And say, God... Fill me tonight with your spirit. God, fill me tonight with your power. God, fill me tonight with your wisdom. God, fill me tonight with your strength. And help me to leave this place, not as, not as one that has to survive, but one that doesn't have to survive. Only obey.